Amen. Thank you, Susie. Beautiful. Think about the message this morning as we continue through the book of Daniel. And next week we'll have a focus upon Christmas itself and that text. But this message is on wars and rumors of wars. And I think about that time when Herod tried to wipe out Jesus. And now we look at a section of scripture that brings one who wants to wipe out Jesus. But yet he came that first time and he came for a purpose and it was to love us. And that love was ultimately shown not in a manger alone, but at a cross. And as we look at wars and and these wars that will follow that lead up to a great war, it looks as if all hope is lost. But that same Jesus marches in and takes control and brings us hope. And we're going to look in, uh, I tell you, in a lot of ways. It's so amazing how Scripture is so relevant. As I thought about this text of Scripture, it, it reminded me of the craziness of, of power. And how the swing back and forth between big egos... And how there's one who will be ultimately triumphant through the face of all this. But turn me to Daniel chapter 11. And we're going to look at this chapter. But for our scripture reading, I just want to read verses 1 through 4. So I'm going to ask you to stand in his honor when you find that text. I'll read aloud. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia. And then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out. Toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants. Nor will it have the power he exercised. Because his empire will be uprooted. And given to others. Let's pray. Father as we look at your word. And we're reminded of the tough days to come. Father thank you that your end though father. Father exceeds the end of wars and rumors of wars. For you, the victorious one, will march in to bring forth your kingdom. Father, in a crazy world in which we live, where there's so much pain and there's so much chaos and there's such a lack of peace, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And as Isaiah predicted 700 years before your entrance into humanity... That we celebrate Christmas. Father that you are the hope. And you remain the hope. And the hope to which we look. Regardless of the wars that are around us. And the wars that are yet to come. Thank you that you are the victorious one. And we just look to you this morning Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, what's the deal with wars? Where do wars come from? What, what, what is the origin of wars? Well, turn me to James chapter 4. I 
just want to read a couple of verses that open that chapter that remind us where wars really are rooted. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Wars are rooted in the sinful heart of people. Who fight. And who struggle. And and who want their way regardless of what's the right way. Um, I read about a little boy that came home from school. And he asked his parents. He said, where does war come from? And his mom says, well, if you're talking about World War II, it it started with uh, an argument between Germany and Belgium. Then the dad, who was reading the newspaper, stuck his head out of the paper and said, you got that all wrong. No, it it, it came out of Germany and, 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 and they went into Poland and this big war started. And he said... Would you stop? I'm trying to talk to our son. Well, I went to college. I was took a minor in history. I know more than you do. And, and finally, the little boy tugs on his, his, his mother's dress and says, Mama, Mama, I'm talking to your dad. Not now, son. And says, I think I know where wars come from. And it's true. What we need is the Prince of Peace to bring peace in our hearts, and, and he one day will, as a whole, to to all. And and uh, as you look at the scripture, it's interesting here. He, he starts out in verse two, and he says, "I tell you the truth." And he speaks about these three kings. And remember from past visions and dreams that are revealed to us in the book of Daniel. There was these kingdoms of Babylon, and then the Medo Persians, and then the Greeks, and then as we Read that the Greeks were taken over by four generals. And we actually read about two of those four kingdoms that are uh, spoken of in detail here in the scriptures. He says, verse 3, a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power, do as he pleases. After he's appeared, his empire will be broken up, parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. That's these four generals that come out of the former Greek empire. It says, it will not go to his descendants, nor will they have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Boy, I started reading through here about these two empires and the conflicts they had, and it reminded me of this modern TV. You know, you got the Game of Thrones, and, and you got Tudors, and, and you, you got Rain, and well, it's just a big soap opera. And you look at these personalities and they're fighting back and forth and there's so much ego. And it's such a power trip. As I started reading through here, it, it said that the northern king and the southern king, they got together and they played politics and they decided, well, here's what we'll do. We'll become family. We'll just be a big happy family. And so the king of the south sent one of his daughters to marry in to the rule of the northern kingdom. 
And you know, I wonder about that. I wonder if she had a say in that. Or I wonder if they thought, boy, that girl's tough. She's giving me trouble. I think maybe if I send them up there to the north, maybe she'll straighten them out. Or maybe she'll distract them so we can get an advantage. But it says that there was this alliance that came forward when they sent the daughter of the king of the south up to the king of the north. But then as we read that, that begins to fall apart. That alliance falls apart. And and, um, that ruler and that uh, new queen, their power would be taken away. And uh, they would rule no more. And it was interesting. I looked at some translations just said they killed them. I said, man, you know, it sounds like some of these crazy shows that they show this battle for power that we see today. And then he goes on and we read in the next verse, in verse um, 4, that one of the descendants, and one translation even talked about that it was her brother, the daughter that was sent up to the king of the north, And boy, he was upset and he got this big army together and he marched up north and he came in and he conquered them and he took all of their idols and their gold and their silver and took it back down to Egypt where the king of the south, where he reigned and where he ruled. And then it goes back and forth as you go through this scripture as as they come together and they fight and there's battle after battle. There's this fight between the king of the south and the king of the north. And, And then you come back down and Verse 6, it says, after some years, they'll become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an allowance. It's like, hadn't we been here before? Hadn't we tried this forced family before where we send the king of the south's daughter up to the north? Now we're going to send the daughter of the king of the north down to the south. And, and as this continues back and forth, there's bloodshed that appears between all of this fighting, all of this war, and, and all of these large egos as they fight back and forth. And and we continue to read this as we go down. And then uh, I want to come down here to, I think it's verse 21. And he says, He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure And he will seize it through intrigue. And this is a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes. He's one of these four generals and one of these four rulers of the four winds that's described in, you know, up in verse four, I believe. And it was terrible, as we talked about in another message of how he came into Israel and how he brought so much bloodshed and how he stood against God and how he destroyed the worship in the temple for a time. And he he was winning and, and, and everything looked bleak. But that was only for a time. And, and we read about that here through the scriptures and that battle and, and how that goes back and forth, how the fight continues. And then we come to verse 36. And he says, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined 
must take place. We talked about another message that there was a description here of a double prophecy. It's talking about this particular king, this of Antiochus Epiphanes, but it's also a reference to the Antichrist who is coming for that time. And we see here, starting in verse 37, we'll spend some time here as it tells us about this one who is coming and gives a description of him. And starting in verse 37, he says, He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers. In other words, whatever his religious background is. Whoever it was that was worshipped, he will have no regard for that. He will rebel against the idea of one who is in power over him. He will rebel in the idea of, there's a God? I'm the God. I'm the one to be worshipped. I'm the one to be lifted up and to be exalted. And then it says, or for the one desired by women. And I looked that up. Some translations it says, he will have no desire for women. So the question there was, does he have power over his own sex drive? And that's not a temptation for him. That's not what controls him. As so many of these people who, you know, have the celebrity status and they're worshipped and they fall into all types of sin. And maybe that's not a temptation. Uh, What does that mean? Or another translator said that it's referring to one of the gods of that time, the fertility gods. And there was this one in particular that it spoke of that women seemed to adore and were attracted to. And a lot of that was because there was a God and he was the super romantic and, and he was all handsome. And the ladies just kind of like, oh, he's so dreamy. And, you know, they, they, they would follow that picture of, of the goddess who would pray for this romantic God to, to come back and, and, and to take power and to take charge. And then he goes on here in this description. He says... And I don't know which it is with this, but but he speaks and he says also that um, nor will he regard any God, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a God of fortresses. In other words, it's military might that he pursues. It's military might that he is after. And as he talks about this, he, in um, these fortresses, he said, A God unknown to the fathers, he'll honor gold and silver and precious stones, costly gifts. He'll attack the, the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. And, and I believe the scripture indicates in Revelation that foreign God is the devil himself, Satan himself, who will empower him and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will take those in political power, his friends, those he wants to to give authority. And and he'll make them rulers. He'll distribute land to them. He will give them power. And the central part of this message is not America. You know, it's not like the the northern ruler is, is going to be Canada. And the southern ruler is going to be someone in South America. Israel is the focus of the text. And the northern ruler is talking about Syria. And the southern ruler, as we see, talks about Egypt. And that there will this be this battle and that Israel will be 
the precious place that has these costly metals and gold and, and silver and be a world center and there will be this fight over Israel and that there will be this collision of the king of the south and the king of the north. And then as we read in Ezekiel 38 and 39, he gives a description in there about many believe that speaking of Russia who ultimately come in the, this bond of the northern kingdom and there will be this great fight that occurs in the southern kingdom in Egypt. And we read about that as, as we go to Revelation 16. As there is a description. Turn with me there of this battle. We refer to it as the battle of Armageddon. This battle that we're told will occur. Which will appear. Be a time of great destruction. We read in, starting at verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it's done. Notice there'll come flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, severe earthquake. No earthquake like it's ever occurred since man's been on earth. So tremendous the quake. There'll be this mighty quake that occurs. And the, and the great city, it's going to be split in three parts. It'll collapse. And it says that God remembered the, the Babylon the Great and gave him the cup filled with the wine of fury of his wrath. Notice how people run. Verse 20, every island fled away. The mountains could not be found. There was just this total destruction. Many believe maybe that has something to do with a nuclear battle. A nuclear war where mountains are literally leveled and destruction occurs. From the sky, huge hailstones will come as if there's not enough misery. And a hundred pounds each fell upon them and they were cursed on the account of the plague of hell that, that fell. And, and, and the description of a mighty battle. Back to uh, Daniel chapter 11. As we read in verses uh, 40, near the end here in 42 and 43... It says he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He'll gain control of those treasures. There'll be a submission, but it won't last. It says reports of the east and the north will alarm him and he'll set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. And it will appear as if this antichrist, this leader, will have victory. It says he'll pitch his royal tents between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet... He will come to his end and no one will help him. There's a description in, in uh, Revelation. He will come to an end. He will de be defeated. He will be destroyed. And in Revelation 19, we read about that great victory that will occur as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will march in. I read all about this and it brings us back to Christmas and it brings us back to the need for a message. It's the message of hope. Because this is pretty bleak stuff. As we read about coming wars that will occur and people need to know that in the middle of all this mess that there's some kind of hope. And that's really what Christmas is about. That God sent His Son to bring salvation and his son, who will come back as the victorious one, 
wants to still love people, to make sense out of the mess and to forgive their sins and to give them hope. And this is not just the job of a preacher. Sometimes we get the idea that, you know, well, that's what the preacher is supposed to do is to talk to people about this hope. This is the job of everybody who is a child of God. We have been called to communicate a message that there's some hope in the chaos that's out there and that the chaos that will come in these wars that, that are down the pike, that there is a Prince of Peace who will first bring peace in our hearts, who will provide us hope for eternity. Matter of fact, sometimes... We preachers uh, can't hardly get a word in edgewise because they cut us off before we even get a chance to talk. Um, years ago, when Cindy and I lived in Quentin, we had moved into a neighborhood, bought a home there. And I liked to play volleyball, and there was a bunch of guys playing volleyball down the road. So I ended up going down the road to play volleyball, and we played like three hours. We had a great time. And I remember afterward... Uh, the guys were like, man, this is great. He says, can you play tomorrow? We'll come back and play. And I'm like, well, tomorrow's Sunday. I can't play. It'll probably be like, you know, after one or something. And they're like, well, well, you know, we really like to play earlier now. I said, well, I can't. Yeah. I was trying really hard not to say I'm a preacher because I'm trying to build a relationship. And, and here comes this guy's, one of the guy's wife comes, starts talking to him. Another guy brings out this big keg of beer. Everybody starts drinking but me. And then she comes over. It so happened I had met her earlier in the day. And she whispers something in his ear. (sighs) That was it. Well, we've all got to go. Never played volleyball again. Never had a chance. It seemed to hardly talk to them again. It's amazing how sometimes a preacher can't get in the doors. You guys can. We need to be ready to to share that there is hope that's before us. Let's pray. Father, uh, what a tough section of Scripture. Father, as I look at a section that talks about all the chaos of kingdoms that will fight one another and the hope that your kingdom is going to be champion. And that the way to your kingdom is through Jesus Christ. Father, as, as I think about those of us who are here today, Father, there's chaos around us and there's a world we don't understand. There are things that to me just seem crazy. Decisions people are making. But they don't know you. They don't know the hope that you bring And Father, we know that your word tells us that there's tough times ahead. And Father, we need to always be aware of the fact that people need to hear about Jesus. People need to hear that there's hope. That in this bleak world that often we don't even want to look at the news. (laughs) Father, that there's good news. Good news of great joy to come to all men. That today a Savior is born. That Savior is among us and wants to, wants to save us, change us, transform us. God, just, to, just remind us of your hope. And, and may that hope be so good that we don't hang on to it, but that we share it with others, God. 
Maybe one here today wants to receive that hope. Father, what a great day for that. I pray that you might speak to us and that we might respond to you, the living God. Lord, we just trust you. We just admit we need you. And Father, as we stand to sing of the King that's come, may we be reminded that the King is on his way again. Lord, we need you. In Christ's name we pray.